I want you to know this morning I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you from God's Word, from the Scripture today. And um, I'm going to invite you uh, to turn in your Bible, in your copy of God's Word, whether it's electronic or, or paper-bound, uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. We're going to be talking about love today, and I think that is the most appropriate way to explain what was going on on Easter, what was going on the Good Friday and all that, is to talk about love. People sometimes wonder, what's the whole deal? I mean, obviously we like having a holiday. We love spending time with family. We love feeling that nostalgia of yesteryear. But what's really the biggest deal about Easter? Why is it so monumental? Why does churches claim that it's such a big deal that this there was this Jesus and that He died and that He rose again? And, and what does that have to do with me? And, and most of us know that reason. We know that it's the story of God sharing His love with us. He Himself has said, no one has greater love than this, that He would lay down His life for His friends. See, the Scripture is all about love. All of it. Yes, there is justice. Yes, there is holiness. Yes, there is truth. Yes, there is grace. There's all of that. There's mercy. There's patience. All these things. But when it comes down to it, it all comes out of God's overflowing holy love. See, it's a holy love. God is holy because there is no one like Him and there will never be anyone like Him. He's completely unique, completely set apart, completely different. And yes, we were created in His image, but He's still God. He's infinite. He's able to know everything. He has all power. He's everywhere at once. He's, a, he's in a lot of ways a lot different than us. And so when we talk about love, when we talk about God loving you, it, I don't want you to see like this small, miniature version of love. Or, you know, yeah, I, I've seen that version. I've seen like soldiers, they even use that verse. And, you know, they, they'll take a bullet for you. That's, that's even minuscule in view of what Jesus is actually saying here. I'm not negating that sacrifice. That's a big deal sacrifice. But it's so much smaller in comparison to what Jesus really did, did to show us holy love. The incredible message of our rescue, this, this story we talk about of Jesus dying in our place for our sins, and that He was the only one that could because He was perfect and we weren't. And He willingly did that. And then went into the grave for three days and then rose again and fulfilling the Scripture. It's the story, the incredible story of rescue, all because of God's holy, unique, powerful love. And the Scripture teaches us about this, this love. Like I said, Jesus said, no one has greater love than this. That you can't surpass what Jesus did to demonstrate His love. The Apostle Paul, a man that wrote letters to churches, he founded churches. He didn't just write letters like, you should do this, I don't know you, and I'm just going to cast these stones. No, he actually went and founded churches around the known world at that time because of the love of Jesus. He was a man dramatically transformed by the love of Jesus. He was a guy that was very zealous, very religious, very pious. In fact, he would be able to check the marks. He had the right pedigree. He had the right actual degree. He had the right, all these things checkmarked of, of being just someone we would consider super holy and good and yet was so off track that he was actually trying to persecute the church 
torture the church, send Christians to their death, and condone it. He was out to arrest them, have them beaten, all these things. And he had this encounter with Jesus. And you would think, well, Jesus sees somebody that persecutes the church, someone who's an enemy of the church, as an utter, absolute enemy. And God encountered him. Jesus encountered him. The resurrected Jesus, this one that he said could never be alive, could never be the Messiah. He saw him. And the fact that he was alive astounded him. And the fact that he let him stay alive, Paul, astounded him because he realized this changes everything. What I've been trying to push back, what I've been trying to to say is wrong is actually true. And the fact that God would allow me to live, that's a huge testament to his love. And so he wrote to these churches out of love. He wrote to them because he had established and helped found them in love. And he wanted to correct them in love. He wanted to teach them in love. Because he knew he had been loved by God. It transformed him. And often considered one of the greatest statements on the topic of love is what we're going to read today from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together. It's going to be on the screen. But I ask you to take your copy of God's Word. By the way, if you do not have a copy of God's Word that you can read, um, if you look at the pew in front of you, you see those black Bibles, take it. That's our gift to you. We could clear out the whole thing and it would be fine with us as a church because we care that much about having the Bible in the hands and hearts of people. We know it's what changes our life. But here we go. It will be on the screen behind me. It says this. He says, If I speak human or angelic tongues... But I do not have love. I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. You see, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, well, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. I just pray that today you would use me as a person with frailties, as a person with flaws, as a person that is not perfect, but has been perfected by you. I'm still trying to live that out in practice, but I thank you for the perfection you make 
in a soul. And God, I pray that you would help us in this time to understand greater love that comes from you. A love that is like no other. A love that changes life. A love that resurrects life. A love that sets the course for life. And may we learn what it means to trust you because we know that we are loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. At Eastgate, we have a desire. Like I said, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would, like I said, you can take the pew Bibles, we're fine. We're, we're good with that. Because we want it to be in the hearts and hands of people. And because we ultimately want people to have a greater understanding of what the Scripture says. We believe that life changes, it comes from understanding Scripture. Not that Scripture is God, but it teaches us about God who is able to do immeasurably more than we could even ask or imagine. He's the one that is able to do the greater work. And He does it out of love. And when we try to teach people about Scripture, we're trying to help them to gain understanding so that they see how that changes and applies to their life. We want them to answer questions about it, like, what does it say? That's why we want people to have copies of it. We never want to hold anybody back from being accessible to the Scripture. We want them to understand what it means. Not to just pick out a little verse that seems... Uh, poignant for the moment, but to see the entirety of Scripture is this unraveling, incredible story that we are a part of. We want them to see how it applies, that this is not just teaching that applies back then and was good for ancient wisdom, but is good and relevant today by seeing the author that wrote it, that God would use these human hands. He would inspire them. They're all inspired by the Holy Spirit, but He would use men in their point of life to share this these writings, that it would go to particular audiences, sometimes nations, sometimes little churches, and that God would preserve them for all of us because it's just as there was an aim then, that aim presents itself to us. And then ultimately, will I trust and follow? So what is this scripture that we read today? I believe the entirety of scripture is wrapped up in the word love. But what does this scripture tell us about love? It's, it's a beautiful passage. Sometimes I've been to weddings. People that aren't even Christians, they love this passage on love. They love to hear it. They, they see it as beautiful. But what does it reveal to us? What powerful truth is there? When I talk about powerful truth, it's not just like getting a little kernel or wrinkle in our brain. It's not just some like encouraging fact that makes us feel warm and fuzzy all over. Or is, wow, that was very entertaining and clever. Uh, the Bible is entertaining. The Bible is encouraging. And the Bible is enlightening. But the Bible is given so that life may be transforming. And transformation only comes from powerful truth. When we say, well, this is what I thought I knew, but now I know for sure this. And this is what it tells us about this holy love, this greater love that comes from Jesus. The first thing it teaches is that love is a matter that is imperative. It's an imperative statement. It's, in, it's essential. It's crucial. It's necessary. It's pivotal. Everything hinges on it. It's the exclamation point. It's an imperative. You see, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church of Corinth, had just finished writing about this relationship that was between how God had gifted them and how that was meant to be connected within the family of God as one body at work, functioning as God wanted it to. And in this portion of the discussion, Paul explains something, that none of that even really matters these giftedness, that body, all of it, it ne- not really it doesn't really matter without the matter of love coming to make it all happen. It doesn't really matter if there's no love. 
And not just any love, the imperative love that comes only from Christ. You see, Paul uses these statements that we would say hyperbole. He's, it's exaggerated statements, but it's presenting the truth. When he says that if, if I were to speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. In other words, if I was very eloquent, that even angels were like, oh, he has the voice of an angel. You know, that would not be enough if love wasn't there. In fact, to have magnificent speech without the matter of love would be something that's actually quite unbearable to others. To sound right, to be able to articulate the right facts, if it wasn't done out of love, would actually come across as something utterly unbearable to folks. It would be like misused instruments. Clang, 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 clang. After a while, it would be like, just get it away. Don't, I can't hear it anymore. It's, without love, it's just noise. It's just noise. Parents, you know what noise sounds like. But here's the thing, because of love, we bear the noise, don't we? Sometimes we bear it. Sometimes we're like, enough! out of love you see the matter of love is imperative he goes on he's another hyperbole he says if i I had the gift of prophecy and understanding all the mysteries and and i had all knowledge if if my mind was just this mega mind and i have faith so that i could even move mountains i don't know i have a mind but i had action that could do miracles but do not have love paul makes a statement i am nothing Even if I was the smartest person, even if I had the most incredible ability to to speak and declare the mysteries of God. By the way, prophecy is not, as we like to think about it, as foretelling something that's going to happen in the future. Usually it's foretelling what God has said. This is what I want people to know. And so we still believe in, in the prophetic speech of saying this is what the Bible has referred to us about the mysteries of God. And to have the faith to the point of doing miracles with a matter of love, it would be really nothing if you had these things combined. And the thing about it is, Paul was known as someone that was very gifted. Sometimes people were like bringing their sick to Paul. But he says if, if this was done without love, it would, be, it would mean nothing. It would be utterly pointless. You see, Paul is saying that love is a matter that is imperative. And the fact is, we don't really matter no matter how much we think we may matter, if we don't have the matter of love. He used another statement. If I were to give away all my possessions, not just a little pittance every now and then, but all of them, sell it all. And if I give over my body in order to boast, saying, look what I've done, I've set the example for you. But do not have love, I gain nothing. You know what is crazy about that? It's saying that even sacrifice, even just utter martyrdom without love would be something that really gained nothing. Ultimately, pointless. Our sacrifice is an empty boast no matter what we do if it's not done without love. And you see the matter of love is imperative. You see, the Bible tells us something about that imperative of love when it tells us about Jesus and what He did for us. You see, no one The Bible says no one has greater love than this. No one has made a declaration of love like Jesus. No one. He didn't just die for someone that was a good person. He didn't just die for someone that was a brother. He says he died and demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. 
He died for us. Every one of them. From the goodest of good in our own eyes to the baddest of bad in our own eyes. No one made a declaration of love like Jesus. No one has greater love than that. And the, the, the cross, the grave, the resurrection, it teaches us that, wow, that's a statement that Jesus' love is like no other. It's good. It's greater. It's holy. It's powerful. It's imperative. Another powerful truth about love that Paul writes about, being affected by the greater love of God himself, was that not only love is a matter that is imperative, it's essential, crucial, pivotal. It's that love is a matter that is ingenious. It's, it's amazing. It's astounding in what it accomplishes. It's patient and kind. It's all these things. You see, when Paul writes about this, he's not just talking about this ethereal use, this abstract use of the word love, like, oh, I love hot dogs or I love going to this place or whatever it is. You know how we use love for everything. We don't really mean it that way. But love that comes from God, it's not some just out there idea that really has little meaning. It's an action word. It's a moving word that brings in some things and removes other things, but lifts up God in all things. It's a mission love. It's a demonstrated love. You see, love is personified. It's, it's characterized and revealed and evidenced in our daily character and choices. Whether love is genuine, it's something that, that, that can have exhibit A and exhibit B and witnesses can say, yeah, that's love. It's not some abstract thing like, I don't know if that's love or not. It's, it's, it's testified that that is what love looks like because it's action, it's mission, it's a demonstration. And our love is seen through our daily choices and character. But here's the thing about love. Love is not something that's self-centered. It's not something that's self-focused or based on personal self-seeking agenda or what I can get out of this. It's totally giving on the other one's behalf. In other words, the Bible says it should be really easy for us to recognize the exhibit of love. It should be really easy for us to see and say, yeah, that's just words. And then we look and say, no, that's love. That's action. The shameful thing is, not I'm not shaming you guys, but the shameful part on our behalf, totally, even me, is how easy we're tricked. How easy we're deceived. How easy we just like, oh yeah, that's love, but it's not. When we hold it up to the light and see God's love and the Scripture's testimony of it, and what we call love, we're like, Wow, that's really different. That's hugely different. You see, love is ingenious because it's patient. It doesn't give up easily. Love is ingenious in the fact that it's kind. It's both good in heart and deed. Love is ingenious in that it removes the, the, the things that are, that are war against love. It removes jealousies and envy and, and boastfulness and being a braggart. And it, it removes conceit and being arrogant and prideful. It removes being rude or unkind. It removes the self-seeking and rebellious and making it all about you rather than someone else. It removes the irritableness and of isolation saying, get away from me. It removes the, the legalistic keeping records of wrong. Well, I'm better than that person. Love is ingenious in that it it brings something in it. It removes something. But it's also in Jesus the fact that it finds no joy in unrighteousness. 
It doesn't say, well, we'll just let everything skate and flow because that, that would be what's done in the name of love. No, love does not find joy in that. It, it seeks the betterness of people. It elevates them towards holiness. It rejoices in truth and submission and obedience. It bears all things and perseveres because it knows it's the one thing that's going to last. It believes all things, not believing all nonsense, but believes what God has said about his love is true. It hopes all things that we know that these promises are guaranteed. With our eyes set, it endures all things because it's victorious. You see, the Bible tells us something about this ingenious display that is found in the greater love of Jesus. We talk about at Easter that no one has made a demonstration with love like Jesus. He said, I didn't just go and do this for my buddy. I did it for everyone. Even if they were a person that says, I'm an enemy of God. I gave up because I love them. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for those who would become his friends. The Bible says incredible things about love. It says that it's imperative. It's a statement that's pivotal. It's ingenious and creative and fully alive and active, but it's also a matter that is indelible. I came across this word only actually a few years ago. Not inedible, indelible. It's a pretty word. It sounds like something that someone with a high education would use or anything like that, but that's not why I wanted to bring it today. I, because indelible brings all kinds of definitions to the table. Something that is indelible, it, it leaves a mark. Not like something that will be washed away over time or something that will eventually go away. It leaves a mark that is lasting. Because something that is indelible is incorruptible. It can't decay. It is indestructible. No one can crush it. It is imperishable. It will never run out. It is irrevocable. It cannot be removed. It is inextricable. It is sometimes can't be explained. It is ingrained to the depths. It is imprinted on the outside and is immutable. It is unchanging. It leaves a mark. Love leaves a mark. Because love never ends. As for these things, the Bible talks about these, these gifts, these things that we sometimes we get so wrapped up in. He says one day those things will cease because Jesus is coming back and the perfect will be known. But you know what's going to last through all of that? Love. You see, one day, faith will cease. Because those that know the Lord Jesus will experience firsthand what they have put their heart and their hope in. It'll be a reality. Hope will cease because the promises will be provided for. But love will remain. Many of the aspects that we think about will come to an end. While we look at things, how they're broken today because of the gospel, one day this love will be completely fulfilled. Life will be completely perfected. And it will change us forever. But we don't have to wait for that one day. The Bible says that we can experience that love even today. And it can change us. Paul puts the comparison. It's like whenever I was a child, these are the things... I experienced, I I did these things, I acted like these things, but when I became a man, those things were put away. There was a change that occurred because of this natural process of life. But because of the love of Jesus, something else changes that's a supernatural change. That the things that we once cared for so greatly and made a mountain of that are really a molehill, they don't mean as much. 
And we see the nature of love is perfect and found in Jesus. Love will never end. That's why love is not only a greater matter, it is the greatest matter. The Bible tells us something about this indelible deliverance that is found in the greater love of Jesus. See, no one has made a declaration like Jesus that this is what love looks like by stating it. No one has made a demonstration of love by, like Jesus by living it out and willing to die, being more than just words and a, and a radical rabbi, this miracle worker, this incredible prophet, this, this person that was different from other teachers. No, Jesus made a demonstration that was more than just words. And then he actually brought about deliverance. He did something that transforms life, bringing blessing rather than cursing, bringing life rather than death. What he does is he lays down his life for his friends. Now that may seem like something really nice to say to us, that God says he wants to make you your friend. That's a pretty big deal, actually. Not something to be taken lightly. Did you know in the Old Testament, there are only two men, two, who were ever called friends of God? Abraham and Moses. That's the only two people that that label ever is stated. Because of their connection, their relationship with Jesus, with the Lord. But because of Jesus, he says, It's not going to be limited to just two people. But my story is going to make it available to all people. It's a deliverance. Not just for a little few, but for the many who will trust in me. That this redemption that is found in the resurrection makes us friends with God. A title that is huge. And he does that because God is uniquely different. God's character is on display in the gospel and the good news of his love. That He is holy, He is just, He is mighty, He is good. And He sees the offense of sin, our sin, our choices. Yes, there's the overall sin of mankind, but deep down it also is personal. What we've done. God sees that personal offense. And God takes that personally. But here's the good news. God does something about it personally. That's where the sufficiency of Christ comes in. He says, I'm the perfect one, the only one that could ever go to the cross for you because I was perfect in my humanity, but I was also fully God, fully man, fully God. And so his payment counts to where it fits the bill for our sinfulness, but it's God and big enough to cover all accounts. He never runs out of checks to make that payment for us. But because it's love, because it's a story about resurrection and redemption, it's also a story about relationship. And love is something that must be chosen. Love is something that must be chosen if there's going to be a relationship there. And God provides the ability for us to respond to this grace when our eyes are opened by the Scripture, when our hearts are are torn because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. He's saying, I'm giving you the ability to respond to this great grace gift of love I want to give you that is available only because of the cross, only because I conquered the grave. Only I can pay for this gift. But it's your choice to respond to it. It's your choice to accept it. To receive it. To take my relationship that I have paid so dearly for. But when you do, it will change your eternity. 
Because it's a gift that lasts forever. It's infinite. It doesn't end the moment we expire. The moment we kick the bucket. The moment we pass from this life. Because His love lasts. That gift will last. And it makes a difference in our eternity. And when it makes a difference in our eternity, it makes a difference in how we view the eternities of others. That's why we can't hold the message back to ourselves and just keep it in and be like, oh, it's a private matter. No, it's a very public thing that Jesus did for us. It becomes public in our life because we want people to have that same eternity because we love them and want to see them there. It brings the eternal urgency in the message of the gospel. But it also transforms life here. That once we have those moments, we like Paul Compare it to our life. Well, once I was like a child and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child and everything. But when I became older, I put away those childish things. And that moment of God says, here's the decision. Are you going to continue there? Or see your life transformed by me up here? What I can do for you in the land down here. This is what love does. Love on display in the resurrection is an imperative love. It's ingenious in its beauty. It's indelible. It will leave a mark. My question for you today is, have you personally experienced the mark of that love? Do you see how desperate God was to give it to you and show it to you? How beautiful it was that He did? Has your life been marked by that change? For those that have not had that mark change, I would ask you to question. I'm not trying to condemn you. But I would ask you, say, have I really experienced the love of God? Or has it all just been words and talk before? Or has it made an impression on my life that says, I am loved by God. How could I ever, why would I ever seek to live another way? I'm going to ask you to think about that as we pray. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Lord God, today I just thank you for the incredible abundance of your love. Page after page of the test of the Scripture bear witness to it. They speak of who you are. They show what you've done. And they care enough to show us what you've said. But God, we need to hear it. But the only way we really listen is when we do something about it. And so as this moment of response comes, this time of invitation where we had the ability to pray. God, I pray that you would show us what we need to do. For those in this room that may not yet have experienced and trusted in your love, I pray you burn an impression on their heart that leaves a mark. You ingrain it. And they will respond to that love. I pray for those of us who are called your children that have already experienced and trusted that love. God, it will renew us and refresh us and reshape us for our purposes that you've called us to in this life as we live grateful. Help us, God, respond in this time in a way that is appropriate and that the only way is to listen to what you say and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.